Hey everyone, I hope you are doing extremely well on this beautiful Thursday. We are super excited to announce that we have a new partnership. Mountaineer Roasting Company is the official coffee of Mountaineer Media. Now this Morgantown company is on a mission to provide high quality coffee and make it at an affordable price. And you want to know the best part? Well, they're offering a discount code for all Mountaineer Media Podcast listeners when you go on their website and shop their products. Yeah, it's super easy to go to mountaineerroasting.com and use code MEDIA15 to get 15% off any online order. No spaces, MEDIA15. They'll ship it right to your doorstep. Personally, I'm an elevation espresso kind of guy. I stick that in my French press. Wonderful high quality coffee. My morning's off to a great start, especially knowing that these guys are up there in Morgantown trying to do some of the same stuff that we're doing, promoting West Virginia, really putting a lot of love back into this state. So I'm all about it. Media 15 is your discount code for 15% off. Go check it out now, mountaineerroasting.com. When the New River Gorge received its designation as a national park and preserve, communities in the surrounding area perked with excitement. And that's no different than for Jenna Belcher, who's our guest today. Jenna is the executive director of the New River Gorge Regional Development Authority, or NRGRDA, which we joke about in the interview because of how long and hard that is to say. But her goal is to improve the quality of the region for current businesses, as well as the potential companies who want to grow in West Virginia. But Jenna is deeply ingrained in West Virginia's culture. She was born and raised in a family that supported the local community through their food bank. And through that, she grew to love helping others. And what's really cool is that her family is so well known, connected, and respected in the southern part of the state that they took care of people like the late Anthony Bourdain, Mike Rowe, and even Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Jenna and her family are even in that Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown special that was filmed here in West Virginia. If you watch it, they're all at the dinner table. Jenna's actually sitting right beside Anthony. Super cool. Go check it out. So make sure to stick around for an incredible story about Anthony Bourdain and his visit to West Virginia. And this podcast, of course, is presented by Mr. B Chips. So without further ado, Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Jenna Belcher, our guest today, and Jenna, welcome aboard. How, how are things? I know we, you, we were just talking about you're in Wyoming County, then you got to travel to Raleigh County, so a lot of your days, a lot of your days spent in the car, but Overall, I'm sure you can't complain with how things are going for you. Yeah, so things are good. Um, we're, you know, at the beginning of a year, but, um, you know, a really exciting time for the New River Gorge region. And so I'm positioning myself to be closer to Raleigh County um, and so that I can do more intentional work than I'm already doing. But yeah, um, I'm excited to, to have a conversation with you guys today. When you were when you took over the job as the executive director, which was late 
2020, correct? Yeah. That was the, yeah. What was kind of, did you know that that was coming? How did all of that kind of come about? And then, you know, the second that you took over, were you like, all right, let's do this, 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 this kind of getting moving? Yeah. So, um, you know, the transition into the executive director role wasn't um, a pleasant experience because the organization was going through some some difficult, um, you know, hurdles at that point. But I think I look at this now as like the in my role as deputy director at the time, uh, my board was like really developing this deep trust for me and knew that I was a problem solver and I could fix these issues mm -hmm. that was going on. So even though it was sort of tumultuous um, at the time, I look back and I'm like, this is kind of a big deal. Like, you know, this organization was created and 33 years ago, which is wow. as old as I am. Like it was created the year that <laughs> yeah. I was born. And um, the first ever executive director of the organization was a female. And so it's sort of like this serendipitous moment of like, wow, this this was sort of like where I was meant to be positioned in this role and like carry on the original vision of this organization and the the leadership that that very first Judy Radford was the first ever executive director um, that she put in place. And like my board is like trusting me to do that. And I'm fairly new with the organization. I mean, I was only there like three years at the time. So um, yeah, it was a big deal for me. And like, I feel like things are moving in the right direction because of that um, good relationship I have with my board of directors. Let me ask, you said it was tumultuous. Can you give us a little more background into what you exactly meant by that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's organizations go through change with leadership, right? And, and this organization has gone through a lot of change in leadership. So it wasn't any one single leader's, you know, fault. Um, but the organization had sort of gone in a couple different directions and we really didn't have our footing as to what the strategy should be. So I think that, um, you know, when I came into the organization, the first one of the first things that I tackled was a five year strategic plan that got the got us back on track with like what is economic development and what are our three big focal points. And so my work was very much trending towards those strategies, whereas the existing leadership wasn't. And so it, it was sort of like this organic, you know, I guess, situation that was created that my board saw like my work was going in one direction that was very much what the organization needed to be and past leadership just wasn't in that same position and so um, they had to make a, a pretty difficult decision but I think ultimately it worked out best for everybody involved where, yeah, it's where really does just it a realignment of strategies I guess you could say okay okay no, no. Oh, where did this passion for you for like the, the southern part of the state come from? Like, did you know kind of you'd land in a position like this trying to advocate for the state and do like regional and community development or where like where did this kind of come from you personally? Yeah, so that's interesting because um, I think that was very much rooted in my upbringing. So obviously I said I was from McDowell County um, and my mom and dad are like huge advocates Um for community in McDowell County. And when I graduated, I went to Concord University and graduated, um, got my undergrad in recreation and tourism management. Um, okay. And I graduated in 2009. 
And I immediately went into private sector finance. So I worked for a local bank for about nine years, nine and a half years in trust and financial services. So I was like really rooted in like, you know, high net worth individuals and managing their portfolios and seeing, you know, also managing like trusts and, um, you know, philanthropic organizations that invested their dollars. And it was like, this is this is interesting to me, right? Like, so it was very Mm. much during that period of time that I developed that financial background. So fast forward to 2014 and I had my daughter, Nora. And I think there's like this switch that flips when you have a kid that's like, I have to make the whole world a better place for her to live in. Like I have to fix all the things because I want her to grow up in like this amazing world. And so um, I made the really tough decision to leave that very comfortable job at the bank and move into a position with Coalfield Development. Um, So I took a job at Coalfield Development Corporation and learned so, so, so much about community development and workforce development and really rebuilding Appalachia and its people. And I, I really think that my time with Coalfield, even though it was short, um, I learned so much from the folks there. Like I always say mm-hmm. that, you know, Brandon Dennison just ha- has this like creative vision that nobody else can can really top. And Marilyn Wren, that is, is sort of the the second longest person with Coalfield. She taught me everything I know about putting together grant proposals and what folks are looking for. And so that time was was really where I honed in my skills for community development. So when the position came open with New River Gorge Regional Development, it was interesting because it was the director of business development and it really allowed me to pull together that background in financial knowledge Mm -hmm. and the components of community and economic development that I learned at Coalfield. And it was like, this is perfect. Like this is exactly what I need to be doing. So, um, that was a really interesting experience and things moved really quickly once I started with NRGRDA because I really found my footing in looking at what the community needs holistically and then figuring out how to plug in those financial tools to make that happen and work with the municipalities and the counties and the community members to to really um, use those financial tools to build out the infrastructure uh, that recruits new companies and creates business. And so um, it was really exciting to me. I also, you know, back to my parents, um, you know, my dad is like one of the smartest guys I know. And he gave me this sort of like very analytical brain and mechanical brain. And so there's, there's some components there that obviously I'm grateful for. And then my mom gave me this like personality that's like, you're here to do the work, like pull everybody together and like, you can love them, but you can disagree with them. And at the end of the day, we can all get together and make this work. So yeah, I really think that's sort of where that came from. Um, but it's been these different paths along the way that have, have helped me pull that together in the role I'm in now. I heard I you just, go ahead, Cooper. Obviously, I think this role was created for you then after hearing like your story. I mean, it seems like this is like an absolute perfect blend of like business and like the upper level finance type stuff to attract, you know, entrepreneurs and business and that sort of thing. But also like having a, a grounded sense of like community and like, you know, keeping all stakeholders involved, not just shareholders involved, right? All the different factors of what goes into development, and whatnot. Um, so I would say you were you were born for this role in a lot yeah, of ways. I would have never guessed that this would be, I mean, because most people that, I mean, 
economic development is one of those like ubiquitous terms that like whoever you're talking to, they decide what it means, right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. it means like community gardening, and then sometimes it means right. like water yeah. and sewer project. It just depends. Right. And so, um, really, like I would have never thought that this would have been the role that would have been so well suited for me. But yeah, like I said, I've, I've collected little pieces of leaders and stakeholders along the way and like crafted this role to, and like feel really, really comfortable where I'm at currently. I heard you rip it off just a few minutes ago in our GRDA. Did you have to practice that a few times? <laughs> Nobody ever gets it right. Like, <laughs> and we just, so it's funny because I think here's another like component of why this role is perfect for me. Obviously my name is pronounced Jenna, but it is spelled J-I-N-A. And for people to like mispronounce it, I don't even care. Like 33 <laughs> years later, it's like, okay, whatever. It's the same way with the organization. Like you give it this huge name. All right, whatever you want to call it, it's fine. It's, it's actually interesting because the organization was originally named 4C which is way easier than yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we went through a rebranding with the counties involved years ago. And so that's how we landed with new river gorge regional development authority, um, which is important because we are the largest EDA in the state and there are only two regional EDAs in the state. So it's important to have that regional component in there of the name. Now, is it, is it the overarching, is that over top of like the country roads uh, or angel, the country road angel network, which we spoke with Kevin Combs of, and then the West Virginia hive network or all three of these organizations just, they're all separate, but they all kind of just work in coordination with one another. Yeah. So that's really interesting um, that you asked that because so NRGRDA is sort of like the parent, right? And I feel incredibly fortunate that we have, our own program, the West Virginia Hive Network, mm -hmm. that we have a team of business advisors and we have technical assistance dollars to deploy to these businesses that are either starting up in sort of like ideation phase and we incubate those businesses or we, you know, they're at the point of acceleration and we provide them technical assistance to help them scale. And so, um, so that's very much like our program that I, I commend the director of that program, Judy Moore, uh, we work hand in hand with one another um, to really craft that to be our business retention program, right? Like when we have a business, regardless of where they're at on that spectrum, and they're either struggling or they need support, they need resources, they need business advising, they need business help, business planning. Like we have that program, and no other EDA in the state has that, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So it's 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 a model, like it's a proof of concept model that we spend a lot of time talking about because we want to figure out how to help, you know, mimic that in other areas of the state. The Hive serves a 12 county footprint outside of just our four counties. So they have eight additional counties. Um, and it's, it's a, a phenomenal program that's really, really growing. And I'm fortunate that we have that program. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I'm sure you heard this from Kevin, who's a phenomenal player and, a, and supporter of a lot of the work that we do along with a variety of others, is that um, really Kevin and Bill Massey put their heads together and were like, you know what, NRGRDA has this loan fund that we can help loan to businesses and it's flexible, it's not traditional financing, but we're seeing these businesses that are around the state and coming out of the Hive programming. And we know that there are angel investors that would really, really be interested in providing some capital to those 
um, businesses. So CRAN, while it is its own standalone entity, it is very much part of our ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Our entrepreneurship ecosystem that we have and own in this region okay. and in the state of West Virginia. So, um, so yeah, CRAN is fairly new. We're a year-ish into CRAN and it has already made its inaugural investment into a company in Morgantown. And it's really gearing up to be like this new tool that West Virginia businesses um, can access for investment capital. And it's so- The Shark Tank of West Virginia. It's what I told Kevin when you started that, the show. It is exactly <laughs> the Shark Tank of West Virginia. And like, I love it. And I love the fact that we've created this entire organization that like, is its own ecosystem that we can help like business businesses grow and start up and pivot mm -hmm. in the region and and we have all of the tools in our toolbox so yeah it's a fun you know the hive and crayon are phenomenal programs um we also have a sister organization called active southern west virginia i don't know if you've heard of active but uh, melanie seiler is the executive director there and we work really closely with active and their whole goal is to just promote a healthy workforce for West Virginia companies. So they work really intently in the communities and with companies to provide like healthy tools and trainings so that the workforce stays here. Again, it's a retention tool for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so active is another one of our programming components. We don't own active, but we do partner very intentionally. And a lot of our businesses um, participate and have programming through Active Southern West Virginia that their employees participate in. It's been very, a very pivotal and crucial component of this work during the pandemic because Active is focusing on mental health, um, men mental health awareness and programming for employees that are at home all the time and mm -hmm. um, really helping provide some of those tools virtually to make sure that that companies have a healthy workforce during this pandemic. This podcast is brought to you by Mr. B Chips. And when we had Marianne Kettleson, the CEO of Mr. B Chips on the podcast, we knew instantly that this could be a long-term relationship um, and partnership with her because her values about West Virginia and the way she runs her business and the, how she cares about the state and the people and her employees really, really aligned with what we're trying to accomplish and highlight here on the podcast. So we could not be more appreciative of Mr. B and they will continue to be the presenting sponsor of the podcast. But um, also, guys, you know what's up, mountaineermedia.org. That is where our home base is for everything. You can shop our merchandise. We've got the hats, the Cardinal Collection. We've got T-shirts. We've got a whole range of different stuff on there. But also our bloggers. They put out incredible articles about their passions about West Virginia, and we publish them on mountaineermedia.org. You can sign up for our newsletter, and you'll get it in your inbox twice a month. You also get discount codes. So we occasionally run discount codes for the merchandise and that all of that can be found and signed up for on mountaineermedia.org. All right, guys, I will quit talking and we'll get right back to the episode with Jenna Belcher. Thank you, guys. How, how important is a healthy EDA in your part of the state where West Virginia is putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into trying to get that those four counties, the New River Gorge area, trying to establish it as maybe the talking point about West Virginia. How important is that to have a healthy group of, you know, a healthy relationship between those businesses under that ecosystem in that ecosystem and, you know, from the top down for you guys? Yeah. So 
as you know, Southern West Virginia has seen um, its fair share of economy decline, especially, you know, being the crux of coal country. Mm -hmm. Um, And as part of, you know, the new administration, we see like way more potential for additional funding to help support especially Southern West Virginia, if not only West Virginia as a whole. And so we have to remain, like we have to have those healthy relationships and we have to remain engaged so that we, I I think it's my role as a director of this organization to make sure I'm at the table representing my region in Southern West Virginia to say, hey, this is what we need. Because Mm -hmm. if nobody is at that table, um, then we're going to get looked over. And so, you know, they, the administration and and even the state as a whole, they don't know what you don't tell them. And so I think it's really important that we have that seat at the table to tell um, the powers that be, you know, this is what we need. This is how we need to retool Southern West Virginia. This is how we need to diversify our economy. These are, you know, proven, we have proven data to show what what the current labor force in the coal industry, how those skills are transferable into another industry. And here's how we need to pivot those private sector businesses that are supporting mm-hmm. the coal industry. So yeah, it's 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 crucial. And I think we're well positioned with these four counties. Again, going back to what I said earlier, when all of these counties got around a table 33 years ago and decided to create the, the first regional EDA in the state, it wasn't because it was just a good idea and because it was easy. It was because they recognized that these four counties were well positioned to serve and had the strengths collectively to serve Southern West, Central and Southern West Virginia as a whole. And so um, I think that it was, it was very um, forward thinking at the time, especially knowing the folks that are still engaged with the organization 33 years later, it's like they're looking at this and saying, this is exactly what we wanted this organization to be. When we sat around that table and we formed this legislation to create this organization, this is exactly what we wanted it to be. So yeah, it's incredibly important to remain engaged with the stakeholders that created the organization and the folks, even outside our four county footprint, that we can be a voice for. I mean, it's difficult to run an EDA with the low capacity and and the low amount of funding that we receive um, already. And a lot of our partners are single county EDAs that we have a phenomenal relationship with. So I like to make sure we're very tuned in to what their needs are because as the largest EDA, we often get pulled to the table. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I wanna make sure that their intentions and their wishes are, are well represented as well. And so I'm, you know, again, sort of honored to serve in that position. Jenna, mm-hmm. sorry, CJ, there's a little bit of a lag here. We keep cutting each other off. Um, Jenna, we, we talk to a lot of business leaders, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of CEOs, a lot of um, folks like yourself that are advocating for the state. Um, my question, and it's not really necessarily, I think that there's a direct answer to it, is that how will West Virginia judge our success in this in this effort to become a state that attracts business? And it feels like the last 18 to 24 months, there has been like an increase, at least maybe because I'm paying more attention, like optimism in like large scale business development. Like the Virgin Hyperloop was obviously like, that like just shook everyone like holy crap like that came to West Virginia that really felt like that was a big deal and then like the New River Gorge like that you know becoming a national park like that felt like another kind of like you know a moment where I was like whoa wait that's a big big deal I just I'm curious like how um, in your opinion or maybe your all's metrics how do we judge success of of all these efforts to bring stuff in is it you know is it 
is it employment rates? Is it average income of West Virginians? Like, how can we make sure that we're not just like making our state very attractive for businesses, but the people of West Virginia are kind of left out of the equation? Does that make sense? Like, like I'm just curious on how we're going to judge that and monitor that and know that all these efforts are, are working for everybody. Yeah, so it's really cool that you put that tag of like the last 18 months, you've noticed this change. And so like any chance I have to make that correlation to the pandemic, I absolutely do it because, you know, obviously we're still figuring out a year later, like how are we going to retool and how are we going to re-engage? But like what the pandemic did for West Virginia is actually created a phenomenal opportunity for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have businesses that are ready and, and calling every day that want to locate to West Virginia because their operations were shuttered in places like Chicago right. and New York. And they're like, Hey, we, we really need to, um, we really need to get to West Virginia. We need you to locate. And it's like, okay, this is a phenomenal opportunity. So West Virginia has to be ready. And what do I mean by that? Like we have to have the ready labor force. We have to have um, ready sites. We have to have the infrastructure in place. We have to be able to cobble together and package together incentives that recruit these businesses to locate here. Mm -hmm. So part of that and part of what an EDA does is we work hand in hand with organizations like our regional planning and development councils to not only implement these projects and deploy these dollars that are um, appropriated from Congress, um, we also map and provide a lot of analytics around um, successes, right? And so what we're working on now, especially in the outdoor industry, is really mapping what does the current industry look like and how do we create a usable tool and interface that allows us to publicly measure success, right? right. So when we go from 10 outdoor businesses in a community to 20 in a matter of a year, and we've created, you know, a hundred new jobs through that, we can visibly see that, right? And right. so that's how we measure that. We also work really closely with our community and technical colleges um, in the region to identify opportunities for new curriculum development. They're there as a tool for us. And when we recognize the ability to support an industry like the aerospace industry, and we recognize and we pull together data that shows the transferability of skills from the coal industry to the aerospace industry, that's when we pull our community and technical colleges to the table and we say, hey, we're ready to recruit this workforce. We've done X, Y, and Z at an economic development level. We're going to recruit these businesses. We need you to get the labor force ready. They're like, all right, let's craft a new curriculum. Yeah. So, um, so you're going to see programming grow at the, I think that's a measure, right? Like new curriculums implemented that are industry specific, um, that are taking those um, coal industry employees and transitioning them into a new skill and training them. You're mm -hmm. going to see job creation. You're going to see more forward facing um, databases and dashboards that show impact. And you're going to see more impact measurables at the end of each year that we're sharing to show like this is what's working and this is how we've recognized new industry opportunity we're not you know obviously we work hand in hand with community development entities and it's phenomenal when we get to you know do these feel-good projects but like our role at its crux is create jobs 
you know, bring new business and retain the existing business. And so that's really the data that we look at when we're measuring success. I guess that kind of is a good segue into this question and uh, some recent news about the Raleigh County Memorial Airport, the expansion there adding onto the runway by a couple of thousand feet. But the hope part of that is that uh, some aerospace companies will come do some work from there. But it kind of goes back to your point. It's a place that's ready to go. It's just a matter of, you know, how fast can we get things moving, right? Exactly. So the the airport project is sort of my, my like, baby, right? So like, I can't, so when I came into this organization, you know, one of the first things I did was I sat down with our county commissioners from each of the counties and I was like, all right, we've got to figure out how are you measuring success versus what is the work that we're doing? And at the end of the day, like if you're measuring success with one metric and I'm not doing that, like we've got to, (laughs) right. Like, obviously. So, um, every County commission was the same. It was like, we want you to create jobs. So that's when I looked at them and I said, all right, if you want me to recruit new companies, I have to have ready sites my territory does not have ready sites. So I really, it was like at that point that I really made this site development and site readiness my my like number one priority. So I started digging around and I found out like West Virginia is actually the only state on the entire East Coast that doesn't have a formalized site readiness program. We just don't have one. So like we're the donut hole, right? So it's like, all right, why? So did a lot of work around it. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, it comes down to the flexibility of money and readily accessible money. But, you know, what I realized is like, well, we've got to create a project that basically pilots this site readiness scenario of if you build it, they will come. And we have to prove that when they come, this is the reason why. It was because that site was ready. So... I like set off on this mission to identify properties and the low hanging fruit was the Raleigh County Memorial Airport. Fortunately for me, I have, we, we call each other our partners in crime. Tom Cochran is the airport manager. Tom's been there for decades. Um, and he himself was an AMT um, mechanic and was in, you know, has been around aerospace his whole life. And you can sit in his office at that airport and look across that runway and you see this just wide open space. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, Tom, like what, what's the deal over here? Like, let's get this property assessed. And he was like, Jenna, this has been my 20 year vision. He was like, for 20 years, we've marketed this property and we've never located the first company. Like, okay, let's dig into this. So Tons of work went into it. A lot of advocating went into it and, and went, you know, from pre-engineering work to, you know, bringing down state leadership and stakeholders to leveraging all of those financial commitments. I mean, I think we have nine, nine different funding sources packaged together on that project. And I can say without hesitation, this is the first ever proactive site development project that has been funded in the state of West Virginia. And the end of the day, it's only 105 acres, right? That's not mm-hmm. a lot of property. Like yeah. you're not going to locate billions of companies there or tens and 15 companies there. So, but like I, I recognize the potential of not only that airport and the location of it to serve the aerospace industry, 
that project to me is really my pilot project, no pun intended, <laughs> to say like, if we build it, they will come. Right. And I hope that we can use this as a model. Um, and again, it, it was not just, let's pick a piece of property and put some water sewer fiber, you know, power to it. It was, let's create this holistic approach to new industry recruitment. So we're not going to locate, you know, a, a distribution facility out of there that's just like moving, you know, components or whatever. Like that land is dedicated for the aerospace industry. So what we did was we not only identified the ability to support the aerospace industry, we looked at the assets of the airport and the ability to extend the runway 2000 more feet with minimal expense mm -hmm. to be the longest runway in the state of West Virginia. Nobody else can do it with minimal expense, um, which now allows us to serve cargo aircraft, right? We can be a, a cargo location for the North South travel corridor. And so there's this major industrial potential there at that airport, but what were we lacking? We were lacking the workforce. So we launched this study to identify the transferability of skills from the coal industry worker to the aerospace industry worker. We brought New River Community and Technical College to the table and President and, and WVU Tech. And both of the presidents, Bonnie Copenhaver and uh, Carolyn Long were like, let's do this. Let's create a curriculum program that takes the current coal industry worker, puts them through a training and they become an aviation manufacturer or, or a maintenance mechanic. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a huge component of the attractiveness to get that funding. The final component that we're still working on is we have existing manufacturers in that airport industrial park. They have the ability to manufacture their parts for the aerospace industry, just like they do the coal industry. And so right now, one of my asks to the new administration is like, when you're thinking about how to help coal country, let's not leave out the um, private industry. We, want, we have manufacturers that are hungry to transition into the aerospace industry, but there's a lot of costs and certification involved that they just don't have the financial flexibility to um, embark on and take that risk. So let's provide them that technical assistance that the Hive does so well mm -hmm. and help them get trained and certified to serve and manufacture in that aerospace industry. So that's our final component of this holistic approach to new industry recruitment. And you know, I'm fortunate that the funders trust us, but I like to say I lay my head down every single night with the promise that I will create 600 new jobs out of that development. And if I don't, I guess I'm probably not going to have this job. In so <laughs> um, I, am, I am definitely determined um, to make sure that we create those jobs out of this um, commitment that these funders have made to the region. Hey guys, if you're a True Mountaineer Media podcast fan, I'm sure you've already saw that we recently partnered with Mountaineer Roasting Company. Now they are a Morgantown-based coffee company that is delivering high-quality coffee at an affordable price. And they were so gracious to give our listeners, all the Mountaineer Media loyalists, a discount code. So use code MEDIA15, that's just MEDIA15, on their website, which is mountaineerroasting.com, and you're going to get 15% off any order on their website. That's coffee, the mugs, the t-shirts, they have a lot of cool stuff on there, and uh, we could not be more appreciative of their, you know, their sponsorship, their partnership, and we're going to help promote their business because they align so much with what we talk about. They care about West Virginia, they care about their employees, they invest back 
in the state, and they're just simply a fun, uh, good quality group of people, and we could not be more appreciative of their collaboration. So go to mountaineerroasting.com, use code MEDIA15, and you will get 15% off their delicious coffee, and you can have it shipped right to your house. So thank you guys so much for everything that you do for us and support here at Mountaineer Media. We uh, certainly appreciate it all. Um, But let's finish out this episode right now. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. it, you've got your hands full. I mean, the, there was a lot, certainly a lot going on down there. You, you have big dreams, definitely can understand why you were the person that they wanted to kind of take this position on a lot of, you know, a lot of work ahead. Um, but I, I actually, uh, let's kind of transition into some, some other things uh, about your personal life because your roots are very ingrained in West Virginia culture and history but you've got a connection to a couple of people that are well known in the country that you kind of even housed in Southern West Virginia. I'm talking about Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. And then your family also hosted Bernie Sanders, correct? Your mother did. Um, What were those two interactions like? Did you, did you meet both of them? And, you know, what can take us back to how that even came about? Because we all saw the CNN special, Anthony Bourdain came down to West Virginia. It was incredible. And then Rest shortly after that, yeah, exactly. Shortly after that, he, uh, you know, decided to do what he did, but take us back through some of those things and, and your recollection of, of those guys. Yeah. So this is one of those um, sort of interesting parts about my parents is that, you know, my mom is Italian and obviously you guys have seen a glimpse of her on um you know, in the media and on, um, on the Anthony Bourdain show. And, and I'm sure about a billion other things, but, um, you know, my parents have always just been, uh, well, you know, most recently, um, my dad is working with a, a, an international organization called dig deep to provide clean water access to McDowell County residents. He retired 32 years in the coal industry and has transitioned his skills into now providing clean water access to McDowell. And so they, they recently did a, a piece on my dad, who is the the silent backbone of our family. And, um, and, and one of the comments that the community members said was, you know, Bob and them, they just always take care of people. And so at the crux of, of my family, that's, that's it, right? Like my parents have always just taken care of people. They're both from single parent homes. And um, we don't, I don't have any aunts or uncles. They don't have any brothers or sisters. And so it's always just been our really close-knit family. But my mom um, was raised by my grandpa and her Italian grandmother. And so our life has always revolved around a meal, right? Because anytime you bring people together around a table, you get that real just organic and, and very like true self around a table that that's really where the majority of your conversations happen and your arguments happen. And you just, you know, that that's really what my entire childhood was and my, and still my life now is it's around that dinner table. And so, um, my parents have been fortunate and have done so, so much work in McDowell County through their food bank that they have there that serves, you know, 20,000 people a year in McDowell County with, with food. And a lot of people come to visit, but we were fortunate several years ago. I mean, I guess it's been way longer than that. Now we connected um, with Elaine McMillan, 
who um, I'm sure you've heard of Elaine, but she is very instrumental in a lot of the filmmaking. She produced Heroin, the documentary. Mm, um, gotcha. Yep. And so Elaine is just a phenomenal family friend of ours. And she was still in college when she came and connected herself to my family and was like, hey, I'm going to make this research project called the Holler documentary. It's an interactive documentary. I'm going to do it for school. And it sort of snowballed from there. So as yep. Elaine grew her place as a filmmaker in West Virginia, along with her yeah. husband, Curran, she never forgot like the, the tie back to McDowell County and how my mom welcomed her around this table. And, you know, we created this little family, right? And so when the opportunity came up that Anthony Bourdain wanted to visit West Virginia, Elaine reached out. She was part of the production team there. And she reached out and said, you know what? Like, can Linda just host him at the food bank? And which is normally where our family hosts anybody is at the food bank because that's my parents' lives is, mm -hmm. is in the food bank. And Anthony and his team said, no, no, no. We want to see them as a family. We want to be around that family dinner table. So we were fortunate to be able to welcome him into our home and have dinner with him. And, you know, I think anybody on that episode would say you saw like a tiny glimpse. I mean, he was there for hours. Yeah. And um, the interesting part that my mom doesn't share a whole lot about is that she actually went out and had coffee with him on our back porch just by herself with him and got to really <laughs> kind of intimately connect with him about his daughter and his life and, you know, him saying that he was the happiest he ever been. And so um, when obviously the, the tragedy happened with him, she took it really, really hard because she had, she's like, I had this really intimate connection and why didn't I see something and why didn't yeah. I know something was wrong? And so um, the, it, you know, it was a really, really just it's one of those experiences you'll never forget he was a super down-to-earth guy um really enjoyed being with our family and interestingly enough um he had he had gone into the mines you saw that scene where mm -hmm. he'd gone into a mines and he wanted to have lunch with the miners so he asked my dad he was like do you have a bucket I can borrow I don't want to go down there and have lunch with these guys and not have a buck, you know, a, a lunch bucket. Right. And my dad was like, well, I'm not giving you my bucket that I took for 32 years. <laughs> you know, it has all his mining stickers on it and it's dirty and beat right. up, but I've got another one I can give you. And so he gives Anthony this lunch bucket and obviously the lunch bucket got left somewhere. Um, and so dad didn't get the lunch bucket back. He sent his apologies through his producer, Morgan Fallon. And, um, uh, the day that we found out that he um, had passed away, tragically, uh, my dad got a package in the mail in the mail that day, and it was a brand new lunch bucket signed by Anthony with his signature. Oh my goodness! Yeah, oh my with gosh! His signature, you know, the butcher knife that he always signed his signature. I got with. chills. Yeah, and so wow. we, we have that. Um, it's a very important part of our china cabinet at my parents' house. We are also fortunate enough that the production team um, is trusting my mother with the Emmy that was won for, wow. the, for the oh show. Oh my and goodness. So, um, <laughs> she, she likes to be able to speak and bring that with her. Obviously, we don't possess that. We have to give that back to the Academy, but um, we do have it in our China cabinet as well. And um, again, just there was, there were, my, my mom and dad have this very unique and just organic way of deeply connecting with people and seeing what their need is and filling these roles. And I'm fortunate, you know, I, I'm not as good at it as they are, but I definitely was able to 
develop that trait through both of them to really intimately connect with people and mm-hmm. read people and see what their need is without them having to tell you. So, so the Anthony experience was one that was not just a, a one and done situation. We talk about it often and we have those two pieces of, of, um, of him with us, you know, obviously with the Emmy, but then also with that lunch bucket that, that my dad received. And so that was, that was sort of a crazy experience altogether to know that he had, you know, tragically passed away and we received that lunch bucket the day that the news broke. Um, oh my gosh. So, that's just, yeah. it is. That's yep. just insane. Well, I mean, so, um, it was, it was, it was interesting. And so, you know, prior to Anthony coming, I think it was prior to Anthony coming uh, again, because of the relationship that uh, my parents have with so many and the food bank and, and intimately connecting with people there and developing these trusts. And, and it all ties back to family, right? My mom and dad, again, were raised in single family homes. We don't have a lot of family. And so those people and those patrons of the food bank are our family. Mm -hmm. We have the volunteers that come in, like we have that family and that's where we spend Thanksgiving and Christmas is with those people and those community members. And so um, I think, you know, Bernie's campaign saw that and we, the, the, he, he did, you know, utilize the facility and wanted to be there with the people. And it was not, I can say without hesitation, it was not a campaign. It was an intentional conversation with the people in McDowell County about what do you all need? How can I help you? It was never a, you need to vote for me situation. It was just someone that very much had a heart for the people of McDowell County and wanted to intimately connect with them. And, and of course that was the place to do that. Um, so yeah. And then, um, I think the final person that we were able to host was Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Oh, wow. So again, my parents operate this food bank. They take no salary. It operates on a shoestring budget because we have great contributors, but literally a shoestring budget. What's and the name of it? We'll, we'll make, make sure people, what's the name of the food bank? Yep. So it's Five Loaves and Two Fishes Food Bank in McDowell County. And uh, somehow through that grapevine of like Anthony and all of this other like media attention, um, Mike Rowe and his job re- or his um, Facebook show returning the favor found mm-hmm. out about my mom and it was very much after the Anthony Bourdain series happened one of the big things that the food bank was facing was um, the roof needed to be repaired it was leaking it was you know and we didn't have $85,000 to fix it we had done a couple like crowdsourcing campaigns and got minimal donation to be able to patch it up but um Mike saw that need and came down and I was, I have no idea how we managed this, but they brought the team down from returning the favor and we were able to surprise my mom. We kept her away from the food bank for four days. Still not happy with that. Um, I had to take time off work and be there with the crew and we were able to give the food bank a brand new roof that wow. is you know, and, and we worked with a local company, Fry Roofing, that uh, did everything. And Mike Rowe took care of it, got to come down and meet my mom in our house again. He surprised her. And so, um, so yeah, it's been an interesting experience, but it all really goes back to that trait that they just intentionally just really connect with people and care about them. And I'm fortunate that I got that trait and can pass that on in this work because it really allows me to be able to see what that need is just like what they do. 
Right. And that's so, I mean, we've talked to, like I said, so many business leaders in, you know, like community leaders like yourself and they, they do, they credit their West Virginia, like um, culture and upbringing is the reason why they're in those like leadership position, Um, not fancy degrees, not technical skills, although those things help. It's about being able to communicate with people, understand and empathize with what's going on and be able to communicate that and then to try to, you know, move forward with some type of initiative. Um, It's pretty clear that that's led you to where you're at. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you're not ever going to please everybody, but just to be able to have those very transparent conversations and get to the root of the issue and explain how to fix it is what's most important. And even if, you know, not everybody gets their way at the end of that, that um, it's okay, because at least you've been transparent and communicated with them and really heard them out to see what their need is. And it, Mm -hmm. it works that way with private sector as well. Everyone just wants to be connected with and have that communication. And so again, I, I thank my parents for that trait to be able to really identify that and, and communicate with, with my stakeholders. You are an incredible West Virginian. You are doing great work with the NRG RDA. Good job. And (laughs) we thank you for your time. This has been great. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thank you again to Jenna for taking some time. We had a really thorough conversation. We thought about future economic development in West Virginia, not just in Southern West Virginia, but really all over, as well as some of those interesting tidbits about her and her family. And oh my gosh, that mind-blowing story about the the lunch pail and Anthony Bourdain. Uh, Seriously, when I said I got chills, I, (laughs) I really got chills. I'm sure some of you guys did out there too. Unbelievable. Really enjoyed that conversation with Jenna today. So thank you again to her. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast sponsored by Mr. B as well as Mountaineer Roasting. Go check both of those guys out. Proud supporters of West Virginia. We're proud supporters of them and their work. Thank you guys and we'll see you next week. Peace.